0: Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Thank you all so much for your kind words last week about my brother-in-law. We have really built such a loving and supportive community and I'm so lucky to have you all. For this week's episode, I received two stories in my inbox around the same time. They're both very different, but I wanted to make sure they made it in an episode together because they do have one thing in common, They do not hold your hand. These are for those horror fans who don't like your ending spoon-fed to you. These are for those of you who like thinkers. Before we begin with our first story, I wanted to let you know that we have new merch in our Teespring store. We have some SYTS shirts, as well as some beautiful spooky forest ones designed by Karen Music. I think you'll love the new designs as much as I do. And since I'm so stoked about them, I'm giving you all 20% off until Valentine's Day. Check the show notes for the promotion code. That's 20% off until February 14th. Now, on to the stories. First up, we have a tale by Russell Dorn, and it's called The Scent of Daisies. Freshly picked, the daisies looked wonderful in the all-white hallway. A little bit of yellow and green was all Julia needed to rid herself of melancholy. When she'd first arrived at the house, she loved the white walls with white trim and the white ceilings. The matching banister and curtains had struck her as elegant. It all felt so clean. As time went on, she found it difficult to think of the place as home. Portraits and family photos contrasted too much to agree with the paint job. They stood out as eyesores along with any artwork Julia nailed to the walls. Mirrors only added new angles of white and reflected her head of thinning white hair. The walls stood bare now. Without any personal effects, One could be wiped away just as easily as a smudge mark on the walls, Julia felt. Her therapist would no doubt find such thoughts concerning, but she never made appointments anymore. The price of sessions had grown beyond her means, and the trip to the city proved less than convenient. Rest and ginger tea were all the remedy she could rely on now and the occasional bouquet of flowers. The daisies helped with something else about the house, too. The smell. Even so, Julia caught a whiff of the enduring odor still. The smell remained subtle and not altogether unpleasant in the summer and spring with the windows open. The kitchen door lined up with the front entrance and created a capable path for the air to flow. When the rain rolled in, the windows remained sealed and the smell grew heavy and oppressive. Musty and thick with a disquieting presence, it often proved impossible to ignore. It had rained all week, and the odor gave reason for Julia to collect the daisies from the garden. That's where she must have gotten them, she reasoned. No, surely her husband had picked them that morning, as he did quite often. He typically presented them to her, though to enjoy the smile the romantic gesture cultivated on her lips. One of them, her or her husband, must have collected the daisies. She simply couldn't remember who. Her mind often betrayed her in such ways now. She'd lose things and find them where she hadn't expected. With age came difficulties, both physical and mental, In fact, earlier that morning, she'd spent an hour searching for her radio, only to find it stored haphazardly in the garage. She hadn't the slightest idea of why she'd even bothered looking in the garage, much less why she'd have stored the radio there. If her husband had taken it to work on, a thought that crossed her mind despite him being out of the house, he would have brought it to his workbench in the basement, Not the garage. Coming back into the living room, radio in hand, Julia gasped. Someone stood at the window. Inside. From the corner of her eye, the curtains sometimes took the form of a woman, lower folds rounded to create the appearance of a large skirt, when even one door or window stood open. Certainly, it was this or a trick of the light now, but the curtains rose further than usual in a horizontal rebellion, and from the middle no less, too far up to be excused as the breeze, especially considering the windows were closed. Ducking back into the garage, Julia worked up the courage to look again. Her eyes watered, burning, her ears rumbled. Rumbled. With a deep breath, she peeked out. The room appeared empty. She crept as silently as she could towards the couch, trying to remember if she'd invited anyone over. No one came to mind. The couch hadn't been made up with sheets, and the serving tray remained stowed. She always served cucumber water to guests. Coming to the curtain, she clutched the radio, raised it to strike with what little muscle she had. With her free hand, she flung the curtain aside. Only the window resided behind it. Searching behind the armchairs and under the tables, she found no one occupied the space but her. Exhaling, she put the radio on an end table and returned the flowers to the hall, finding it difficult to swallow. A pair of voices hummed nearby. They sounded like persons speaking with hands drawn over their mouths. At first, Julia thought the radio broadcasted a commercial or talking heads, but she hadn't plugged it in yet. Stepping towards the front door, she realized a man and a woman spoke on her porch. The man's voice sounded quite familiar, and she wondered if it wasn't a distant neighbor she'd perhaps met once. No, she thought. It seemed quite a bit more familiar than that with its southern drawl, the deep baritone. Her nephew, yes. The voice most definitely belonged to her nephew. Was he checking in after so long of an absence? Julia forced the smile off her face. She would be damned if she showed even the slightest bit of excitement. At least not until Samuel broached the subject of his absence. Or at the very least, knocked. Though, if she were being completely honest, she couldn't trust her memory enough to be sure that he hadn't visited recently. Yesterday, even. But she felt it in her gut that he hadn't. Shuffling to the door, she pressed her ear to it. The house is haunted by it. The door distorted her nephew's voice more than it ought to, Julia thought growing concerned that her hearing might be failing. Samuel continued. It's in the walls, it's in the floor. I would have removed it myself, but after what happened, I couldn't stand this place. So it's... Samuel grunted the way one does when nodding. Mm, Painted over, no doubt. A musty smell enveloped Julia, and if it weren't for her nephew and his uninvited guest speaking so softly... She would have moved away from the door and closer to the flowers to mask it. The daisies could always be relied upon to mask the odor. She wished the woman would move off her porch, and Samuel would come inside to explain what topic he discussed so passionately. It seemed rather rude to stand on someone else's steps to have a personal conversation. If he referred to her house having something nasty in the walls, she'd find it rather insulting, She'd cleaned religiously, after all, and her husband surely wouldn't let a disgusting menace such as rats or termites develop. Sealed, I would think, the woman said. No. Someone stomped on the porch. The door trembled. No, no. Still here. It's very aggressive, the things it did to. The man paused, seemingly troubled almost as troubled as Julia had grown with her nephew's lies. She had half a mind to burst out and yell, you're the menace. To exaggerate was one thing, but to make up nasty lies, well, it disgusted her. And for what reason? No young woman would be impressed with a man describing problems without a plan to fix them, even made up issues. She'd have to tell her nephew that. He'd have to learn if he ever hoped to settle down. At this point, she lost interest and pulled away from the door, let them discuss renovations and imaginary ailments if they wished. She had better things to do. They'd move away from her door eventually, or knock. It would be a shame to have an infestation, she thought casually, taking a moment to appreciate her own walls. She drummed her knuckles on the painted wood of the banister, feeling suddenly superstitious. Treating an infestation beyond a rogue field mouse or a hornet's nest would likely prove to be beyond her and her husband's current means if, God forbid, one should take hold. Presently, the white walls remained clean, unscratched and unsoiled. The place might not feel like home at times, but it had and it could again, She certainly felt safe inside, away from the murmurs of those on the porch. At the moment, she still found herself more annoyed than curious as to what they might be discussing. Her annoyance grew when catching a whiff of the odor. The place had grown stuffy, and she had a mind to open a window, but knew doing so would break the promise she'd just made herself. Besides, the wet weather made certain that the windows and doors remained sealed, if only to avoid damage to the hardwood floors. Arranging the flowers how she wanted them, Julia sniffed. Pollen tickled her nostrils and caused her to cough. She quickly covered her mouth for fear of being heard. She wasn't allergic to the flowers, rather her lungs were not in the greatest of shape. Doctors had insisted the country air would help, but she felt it had done little to improve her well-being. In fact, it seemed almost as if her condition had worsened. Though, to be fair, this might have just been the natural course wherever she took up residence. A shriek pealed through the house. For a terrifying moment, Julia feared the neighbor's slaughtered pig had returned to life. Wanting it gifted slab of bacon back, but she found the tea kettle whistling as she scurried into the kitchen. Though no one with any right to be bothered milled about, Julia felt it impolite to allow the kettle to howl in such a way. Embarrassed, she hurried to remove it from the stove. When she reached for it, though, she realized the kettle had already been moved. It sat upon a cool burner. The whistling died down. After a final weak cry, the kettle fell silent. Julia first sought to find if the kettle felt hot or if she simply imagined the whistle. The steam rising from the spout told her enough. Second, she considered the kitchen door which led outside. The Dutch door remained locked tight, the windows latched. She'd been standing in the hall, the only other way out of the kitchen, and she saw and heard no one with the exception of her muffled nephew still chatting on the porch. As far as she remembered, he didn't possess a key. With some difficulty, as if a handful of pills had been shoved into her mouth, she swallowed. Uneasy, she tried to make sense of the kettle moving on its own. After some consideration, she decided it must be some science, some natural force that she was not privy to. Perhaps the heat caused the kettle to rattle away in a series of tiny steps. Perhaps an angle too acute to see, but significant enough to allow gravity to take hold, had caused the movement. Perhaps she'd moved it and immediately forgotten. The final possibility unnerved her more than it provided comfort. She had no patience for superstition, even though she feared some growing impairment in her mind. Anything would be greater comfort than the idea of her mind failing, but ghosts and magic remained out of the question. Truly, her memory wasn't what it used to be. Not with the depression and Alzheimer's, a condition she had so far refused to accept she had, but saw mounting evidence of. So perhaps she had really taken the kettle off before grabbing the flowers, and the steam just got around to escaping now. Silly to think that might be the case, sure, but Julia didn't even remember wanting hot water for tea in the first place. Now that her throat had been seized with worry of her declining mental health, she decided tea would be nice. She poured herself a cup, spilling a little with the jolt of her arms. The sudden ringing of the telephone had startled her. Setting the kettle down, she went to the hall where the landline hung. After brushing down her blouse and straightening her cuff, as if the caller might somehow see her, she answered the phone. She continued to brush her clothes to ascertain she would be decent throughout the call. She thought at first the line had gone dead, but then she heard it. A jagged in-out, in-out of air. That might have been water for how much effort it demanded the caller's lungs to exert in moving it. The silence surrounding each labored breath seemed to occupy physical space. These spaces yawned hungry for substance and set Julia on edge. Who is this? Answer me, she said, a shiver betraying her otherwise assertive demand. The silence consumed even the rough breathing for an instant, before a deep voice whispered, Down. Down, Julia repeated after waiting a moment for the voice to say more. Down. "'Who is this? And down? Down where? Don't be so obscure!' she snapped in her growing alarm. "'Is the phone line down? Going down? The power?' "'Stairs.' A click and dial tone followed, leaving Julia no chance to clarify who had called." She didn't know if she lost her grip or if the cord got caught in something, but the phone tumbled from her hand to the wood floor. Stooping, she retrieved it and placed it in its cradle before looking around the room. It felt as if someone had tugged it from her, now that she had a moment to process the feeling. She looked to the front and back door, and then the windows. The glass of each remained intact. The latches secured, but the white curtains had been drawn to allow the daylight in. Had she opened them? She didn't remember doing so. Turning back to the phone, she inspected the cord. It didn't seem to even have anywhere to snag. No crooked nail, no crevice in the baseboard. Julia stood barefoot, as indecent as that was. So surely she'd have known if her own heel or toes had caught the cord, it must have been her finger slipping. Only the basement door now stood ajar. If this weren't disconcerting enough, Julia could see a man move over to the window beside the front door and peer in, staring at the window. Julia froze, not wanting movement to give her away. The man looked too old to be her nephew. Surely he hadn't been away so long to look that much older. Perhaps it wasn't her nephew at all. Perhaps she had forgotten his voice. His fault for visiting so rarely, she thought. Holding her breath, she thanked herself for her wardrobe choice that morning. The man's eyes passed over her, not recognizing her white shape against the white hallway through the sheer panels that hung between the windows and the drawn curtains. Her heartbeat quickened as she studied the man. His gray, bushy eyebrows made his expression intense, almost menacing and unfamiliar. A neighbor? An old friend? Her landlord? It had been so long since she signed the lease that she wasn't sure she could be trusted to recognize him. Julia leaned against the hallway wall as he cupped his hands to get a better look inside. She wanted very much to sink right into the white panels herself. The man withdrew from the window. Julia took a few deep breaths before a sound caused her to stop breathing altogether. The basement door had creaked. The voices outside had gone silent. Only the shifting noises of an old house remained. The hum of pipes in the wall, the occasional creak of beams and floorboards. Suddenly, the basement door resounded with another loud creak. The hinges needed oil, Julia thought, if only to calm herself with something mundane, for her heart had begun to race. Her forehead and palms had grown clammy. She stared into the wedge of darkness that led to the basement. Her husband must have left a hopper window open downstairs. As logical as a draft of wind was, the explanation did little to calm Julia. Inching towards the basement door, she steeled herself. She stepped closer and found herself once again holding her breath. Closer still, she inched. As she came close enough to shut the door, the phone rang again, startling her. Exhaling, she reached blindly to grab the receiver, not wanting to take her eyes off the basement entry. The moment her eyes moved from it, the darkness would pounce, her gut told her this. Pressing her ear to the phone, she heard the same labored breathing. As she listened, she became aware of hearing. The breathing was not only from her left, where the phone pressed cruelly on the folds of her ear, but also from the right. In fact, the right ear heard the breathing even more clearly. It's coming from the basement, she realized. With a clatter, Julia dropped the phone and looked towards the front window, hoping to see her nephew, or at least the man that had been peering in, Whoever he might be, he had stolen his face away, though, as if it had never been there at all. Down, the voice wheezed from the dark, in a strained whisper a death rattle it finished. Stairs. The basement door crept open further. Julia managed to take one step back before her feet froze in place. Before she saw anything, the odor of rotten leaves and spoiled earth emerged. This odor poured from the gloom, discharged like imperceptible pus from a large boil. Only when the door opened fully and pressed flush against the hallway wall, could she see the possessor of the voice. With the smell, Julia almost mistook the figure for a rotting log. But the log had shoulders and she could make out the silhouette of a head strung between the mounds that rose only to her knees. The figure pulled itself up a step, crawling like a half-dead alligator. Near black, the figure's wrinkled forehead, and a single, fleshy cheek stood out, vibrant peach in color. There were no whites to the eyes, rather, polyps of a fuzzy, green, black substance spilled from the hollow eye sockets in a pair of grotesque fountains. Julia, the pitiful figure spoke. Expelling a puff of spores. Julia realized to her horror that the mass of green-black filth was her husband. She stumbled back and lost her balance as he reached out for her. Slamming hard onto her back, Julia struggled to reclaim her breath as she witnessed stray spores floating in the air. Spores crawled over the walls too, surging from the basement slouching outwards until the white wall had become covered in the same manner as her poor husband. He crept out of the basement before he slunk on top of her. Julia squeezed her eyes shut and wished she could seal her nostrils as she had her mouth, not even daring to scream as she felt the spores taking root in each of her pores, the sponge of her lungs, her moist eyeballs. The sensation made her nauseous. Worse still than suffering the infiltration of her organs, she thought, was the scent that seized her thoughts. How dreadful this odor smelled, for now she perceived not only the musty scent of dirt, but the stench of what lay buried in it. Flesh and pulp and organs all decayed, and Julia's nose received each with equal disgust. She smelled something else too. Daisies. She smelled daisies. Certainly not, she realized. It couldn't be daisies. She remembered suddenly that daisies did not possess a scent, at least not an agreeable one, though she'd never noticed. Others claimed they reeked. They reeked of rot and manure, her husband frequently complained. Yet he picked them often enough still. The aroma of his wife's happiness overpowered all others. Daisies are for looking at, not smelling. Not here, her mother had told her firmly once, when she'd wanted a bundle she'd picked from the neighboring gardens to be displayed on the tea table for expected afternoon guests. Yet now, looking to the fresh bouquet, seeing the beauty of the white and yellow and green, And remembering the arrangements of daisies and wildflowers her husband collected for her every other morning, she perceived a floral odor wafting from them. The floral perfume slowly overpowered the revolting musk. The weight of her decaying husband withdrew. Creaking, the basement door closed. Spores shed from her organs. Julia opened her eyes to beautiful white walls, a white banister, and a white basement door. She'd fallen, she realized, embarrassed in her apparently failing body. Perhaps she'd hit her head, for she couldn't quite remember the plummet or the impact. Her heart raced. She felt anxious. With no small effort, she managed her way to her feet, A faint, musty odor disturbed her nostrils, but meant so little in the grand scheme of things. She had a beautiful house to attend to and a radio programming to listen in on. Besides, the scent of daisies would make the air bearable, as her husband always said with a devious smile. Enjoyable, even, Julia agreed. She found her radio and plugged it in. She then moved to sniff her daisies and straighten them the way she wanted. Suddenly, she couldn't remember what had worried her, or even that she had been anxious just a moment before. Her mind was a white wall, recently wiped clean. All she knew in that moment was that the daisies looked wonderful in the all-white hallway. Our next story is called Tall, Dark, and Handsome by Lindsay Hepburn. was once such a happy time of year for Jennifer. She thought that she had it all, and at one point in her life, she really did. Friends, family, a budding career, and a new husband who loved her dearly. Christmas was the one time of year for Jennifer to reunite with her family and friends in Victoria on Vancouver Island ever since she and Clayton had followed her career to open an office in Phoenix, Arizona. It had now been about nine years since she and Clayton had moved to Phoenix, and the Christmas trip had been less and less enjoyable. Jennifer's friends were all married with children and did not have the time to hang out with her as they once had. Her family had all remained on the island and had become closer than ever in her absence. Worst of all, her marriage to Clayton was drawing to an end. They both knew it, but could not outright speak about it. The rift started, like in so many cases, when they were not able to have a family. It's not like they tried very hard. They did not go through the rounds of tests and fertility treatments, but rather just agreed that they would continue to let fate have a hand, and, as it turned out, fate was busy doing other things. It was not like the lack of a family was the reason for the distance between them. It's just that, as time passed, the less they talked, and the more they grew apart from one another. The reality was that Jennifer had become bored with Clayton, She had inadvertently let her eyes start to wander when she was at various work functions and cringe at her latest exploits while in Vegas last month. She had not told anyone about her brief but passionate encounter with the tall, dark, and handsome man. How cliche. Meeting someone like that in Sin City She wasn't sure if Clayton had assumed something or was just being his passive self, but this year he declared that he needed to stay in Phoenix due to his work schedule. He worked at a bank. A bank that would be closed for the holidays. Jennifer did not argue about this thinly veiled excuse not to travel to see her family and was actually relieved that She was able to make the trip home alone for the first time in many years. It was also going to give her time to think about her future. She was also excited that she was going to dust off her old surfboard and try her balance again on Chesterman Beach. Her longest standing and once closest friend, niece, her husband Sebastian, and two children had rented a cabin in Tofino and Jennifer had agreed to visit them the weekend before the crazy Christmas antics. She flew from the Sky Harbor International Airport to Seattle. She then took the ferry to Victoria. It was something about the three hours of the gentle, undulating water that made her feel like coming home. The feeling and the ocean view was what she missed the most living in the desert. It was almost like she could feel the salty air hydrating her sun-kissed skin from the inside out. As the ferry rolled over the waves, she started to feel slightly queasy. This time was the first time that she was starting to experience a feeling of being seasick. She had never felt like this before, and attributed it to not having her sea legs. She closed her eyes while standing on the bow of the ferry and let the cool air wash over her. She opened her eyes when she heard the sharp cry and whimper of a small child behind her somewhere. She assumed that some adventurous little one had misplaced their parents while playing on the ferry. But when she turned around to offer her help, she saw that she was alone on the deck. Damn seagulls, she said out loud to no one in particular, as a shiver went up her spine, and her stomach rolled. She heard Bertha roll up to the ferry station before she saw her. Bertha was the pride and joy of her father. A well-maintained 1987 Chevy station wagon. It was a big blue beast that had the quintessential faux wood panels on the side. Jennifer could not help but chuckle to herself that this car was still in action after all these years. Jennifer had two other siblings, a younger sister and an older brother, but of all the children, she was pretty sure that Bertha was her father's favorite. She could see her father's smiling face as he pulled up towards her with their 11-year-old family retriever, Cleo, riding shotgun. Her father got out and gave her a big squeeze asking about the trip and about Clayton. When he opened the passenger side door for Cleo to get out, the dog slunk down on the seat, making no effort to move, and averted her eyes from Jennifer. Jennifer reached in with both hands to ruffle the dog's head and was met with a sharp nip on the wrist. Cleo! Jennifer shrieked as she pulled her hand back. Don't forget who got you out of that pound, and who could put you back, she snapped at the dog. Assuming it was some kind of dog dementia, Jennifer forgave her family pet, but made a note not to get too close. Hours later, after she was finished with the greetings from her family, their spouses and their rambunctious children, and they had finished dinner, it was bedtime. Jennifer had offered to read bedtime stories to her nieces and nephews, but they declined. They had acted really quiet since she arrived. The little one, especially strange, almost nervous. Her sister and brother said, almost condescendingly, that the children had not seen Jennifer in a year, and when you were little, a year is a really long time. Jennifer tried not to feel too rejected and poured herself a healthy pour of red wine and went to bed. She put in her earphones and started to play one of her favorite podcasts. She was enjoying the relaxing buzz of the red wine, the great food and warmth of family, even if it was only the adults, when she heard a baby cry. She took out one of her earphones and sat up on one elbow in bed. She listened again for the sound. It was a little strange to hear such a cry when the youngest of her nieces and nephews was three, and what she heard sounded like a much younger cry. She put her earphones back in and took a long, long sip of the red velvety wine. There it was again a cry, but this time it was an even younger child crying, the sound of a baby. Jennifer ripped out both earphones and jumped out of bed and ran out into the hall. All doors were closed and there was not a peep in the house other than Cleo's tail, rhythmically banging on the floor as she looked up from the hallway outside the kids' room. But as soon as Cleo saw it was Jennifer, she let out a low, almost inaudible growl. Shut up, you old bitch. Jennifer growled back at the dog, who slunk further into the shadows. Jennifer went back to bed and turned off her lights and tried to shake the sounds from her head and the turning in her belly. She had a fitful sleep with vivid dreams where she was a queen adorned in a crimson satin dress, seated at a large oak dining table surrounded by a lavish feast of animal carcasses that she had never seen before. Beside her was the tall, dark, and handsome man that she had shared a night with in Las Vegas. He was eating a large, rare steak, the meat almost blue and the plate glossy with red blood. He locked eyes with her, and she was mesmerized. He had the most captivating amber eyes. They had flecks of gold and brown, which tugged at a memory she could not conjure. Jennifer's stomach growled as she slept, and in her dream, she leaned over and passionately kissed this exotic man. Staring into his eyes, And tasting the rare meat on his lips. She became aroused. Lying in bed, she allowed herself to give in to this overwhelming feeling of desire. After she once again lay still on the bed, Jennifer had the sudden urge that she was going to be sick. She ran to the bathroom just in time. It must have been the wine, she thought to herself as she crawled back under the covers. Jennifer walked into the kitchen that next morning, where the smells of cooking breakfast were assaulting her senses. She decided against her usual strong black coffee, and went with a glass of tomato juice instead. While they were seated, Jennifer asked the family if they had heard anything in the night, or if any of the children had a nightmare, but it seemed that everyone had a good, restful night of sleep. Except for Jennifer and Cleo, who was now banished to the outside because of her barking. Jennifer was beginning to think she was losing her mind. A few days later, and a few more fitful nights of weird dreams and odd crying sounds, Jennifer was getting packed to head to Tofino. It started to snow lightly in Victoria. Her mother, in her usual fashion, wanted her to stay home for the weekend as the road to Tofino could get a little slick from time to time, and she did not want Jennifer to be stuck in Tofino for Christmas Day. It was her brother that had encouraged her to go on the trip. The children had not warmed up to Jennifer in the last few days, and Cleo was acting out of character. It was weird, but she could tell that he needed a bit of a break. A break from her. They were once so close, but She really felt the years away had taken their toll on this trip. There was so much discussion which vehicle she was going to take, but it was decided that the safest car on the road had to be the station wagon. Jennifer reluctantly agreed to take the Goliath to appease her mother, and if nothing else, she would look pretty cool rolling into Tofino with a relic from a time before most of the community had been born. By the time that she reached Cathedral Grove, a park filled with monolithic ancient cedar trees, the rain had turned to fluffy, light snow. It had been just around two hours since she started out, and Jennifer decided to stop the car and stretch her legs. She popped out of the car, grabbed her camera, and started the short trek towards the path through the trees. It was nothing like the landscape in Arizona. The damp smell of foliage, hanging moss, mushrooms, fallen leaves, and fragrant wood was almost magical. Walking the path through the large, fluffy snowflakes was almost like walking in a dream. She was alone in the park. It seemed like everyone else was on the road getting somewhere. As soon as she was conscientious of her solitude, she heard a guttural <laughs> cry, of a bright white spike of fear shot through her. Her hands started to sweat and she instantly ducked down. Something was not right. Knowing that a person alone in the woods could become prey to a cougar or a bear, she started jogging towards the station wagon. As she rounded the next corner. A large gray coastal wolf was standing in the middle of the path, staring at her with large amber eyes. She froze. She drew in a large breath and waited for it to pounce. The large wolf took a step towards her. Jennifer closed her eyes tightly and squeezed some warm tears down her cheeks. And waited for the pain. She gasped in short breath when she felt something on her left leg. She could smell the pungent odor of animal and instinctively lowered her hand down to feel the coarse, damp fur of the wolf. She opened her eyes and looked down to see the wolf rubbing its head, then body against her leg as it walked past. She turned in awe to watch the animal look back at her before it jumped into the ferns and disappeared. Adrenaline pumping, she sprinted back to the station wagon and fumbled with the keys trying to unlock it. She frantically moved her head from side to side as she opened the door and swore that she heard the wail of a young child in pain. It was a sound that brought goosebumps across her body. She knew this had to be the wolf, but it sounded different than she had expected. She sat in the car for a moment or two, catching her breath and waiting for her heartbeat to slow. It was weird. She was as much excited as she was terrified. She looked at her phone, considering if she should call someone about the wolf and noticed that she was out of service. She would likely not get service until she was on Wi-Fi in the cabin, which was another couple hours' drive. The snow was starting to come down a little harder, and she decided that she needed to leave immediately. Once she was nestled in the cabin with Denise and a glass of nice red wine in her hand, she would tell her all about this strange but magical experience. She pulled into the driveway a couple hours later, "'and was mesmerized with the amount of jet-black ravens in the trees "'and on the roof of the rustic cabin. "'They hopped along the peak of the cedar roof, "'but for the most part were silent. "'This really was such a beautiful part of the world. "'By the time that she unpacked and had settled in "'with the greetings of Denise, Sebastian, and the kids, "'she felt like she was living in a fog.' Denise and Jennifer had laughed over the fact that she took the beast of the station wagon on the trip, and they caught up some. They were not far into their first glass of wine when Jennifer apologized, but needed to have a short nap. She could tell that Denise was bummed, but she could hardly keep her eyes open any longer. Jennifer tucked into the guest room for a short nap, but awoke when it was already dark. She came out of the room and walked quietly toward the living room. She was so thirsty. She had assumed that it was probably just turned dark and Denise and Sebastian would still be up watching TV. As she entered the living room, the room was bathed in the blue light of the screen, but no one was there. She went into the kitchen, opened the fridge, and looked for some tomato juice or something salty. She needed something to satiate her thirst. She moved a few bottles and saw the hamburger patties, which were ready for the grill tomorrow. Her hand reached out and broke off a piece of the pink flesh, and she brought it to her nose. Her mouth started to water as she inhaled the metallic pang of fresh meat. She took a bite, and it was like her thirst had subsided. She reached in for another piece when she heard the footsteps down the hall. Sebastian had come back to the living room and was now looking at her, eating handfuls of meat from the fridge. She closed the fridge door and walked slowly over to him as he was standing frozen, mouth agape in the doorway. Jennifer threw both hands on his chest and hissed, What are you looking at? into his face as she pushed him against the other side of the hallway. She spat at his feet and went back to bed. When she woke the next morning, she was confronted by Denise, who was a mixture of concerned, confused, and angered at this weird incident in the previous evening. Denise demanded to know if Jennifer had taken drugs or something. Jennifer laughed in her face, told her to keep her fat ass out of her business, which was the start of a huge fight, and ultimately Jennifer was told to leave. She stormed out of the cabin and into a symphony of cawing ravens who had seemed to be cheering for her. She got behind the wheel and started the drive back to Victoria in the snow. A little while into her drive, the fog seemed to lift from her head. She had this dreadful feeling that she had done something wrong. She had no idea why she had acted like that to both Denise and Sebastian. She again thought that, Something was wrong with her. As she ascended and descended the road on the sides of the mountains, the snow continued to change from rain to snow to rain to snow. Her guilt started to get the better of her and she reached for her phone to call Denise. She began to slow as she looked to dial her number. On this particular stretch of road, the temperature seemed to drop rapidly and the rain-snow mix instantly froze on the road. Jennifer had a slight pang of fear, as she could feel the rear wheels slip slightly on the forming black ice. Because she had slowed, the car no longer had the momentum to keep it going up the hill. The heavy wagon started to slide backwards, down the icy slope. She tapped the brakes, knowing that jamming her foot down would not help. But the tapping only gave temporary reprieve from the slide, and as momentum took hold of the station wagon on the thin, black ice, she began to pick up speed. She looked into her rearview mirror, her own fearful eyes looking back at her and began to frantically and rhythmically step on the brakes as she saw a small red Volkswagen bug appearing closer and closer. It was no use. The lumbering station wagon had succumbed to gravity and hit the bug square on the front left. The crash threw her head back against the headrest, and she gratefully came to a full stop in a small ditch off the side of the road. She closed her eyes for a moment. Thank God for her dad, the damage would be minimal and overcome with a sense of gratefulness for the little red bug that stopped her from sliding down the ice-slick hill. She opened her eyes in a jolt when she heard what sounded like a bird of prey. The shriek was animalistic. Looking through the windshield in the sky, she saw nothing, the mixture of snow and rain that was continuing to heavily fall. She heard the sound again, and this time it was not an animal she heard. It was like a symphony of screams and cries that filled the chilled air, the same sounds that she had heard on the ferry, at her family's house, and the woods. Once again, that metallic taste of fear rose in her throat. When she looked in her rearview mirror again and saw the red bug, picking up speed, as it slid down the hill backwards. The driver jerked the wheel to the side to turn the wheels into the hill to stop the rapid sliding. When he did this, the car made a kind of cartoon-like hop back and forth as it slid sideways on the road toward the guardrails separating the road from a steep drop-off on the shoulder. Jennifer gasped, fought with her belt, fumbled with the handle of the station wagon, and jumped out. She was not sure what she should or could do, but she started running in the ditch as fast as she could around her car and toward the possessed little bug. She locked eyes with the woman in the passenger's side, who was wild-eyed and screaming. Jennifer's heart was thumping so hard in her chest. She did not let go of the woman's gaze, who was clearly yelling, Help us, but it looked more like she was trying to play charades and cheating by mouthing the words. She could barely make out the shapes in the back seat, but swore she saw a glimpse of her tall, dark, and handsome lover staring back at her with amber eyes. Jennifer came out of the ditch and onto the slick road, and as she stepped onto the iced asphalt at full speed run, she lost her footing and slipped on the black ice, falling forward in slow motion and slowly turning onto her right shoulder to take the blow. As she fell at an impossibly slow speed and found impact with the road, she heard a bitter metallic sound as the bug passionately kissed the guardrail. It was a high-pitched shriek of both metal-bending and panic-filled voices of the passengers. When she lifted her head again, she was looking at the underside of the vehicle as it began its steep descent down the side of the mountain. She slowly got up, gripped her throbbing and likely dislocated shoulder, and cautiously but quickly moved to the edge of the gaping guardrail. The bug looked like a crumpled ball of red Christmas wrapping. It had come to a harsh stop as it caught on the stump of a giant cedar. There would be no survivors, Jennifer was screaming from the pain and shock. Her hand slowly let go of her arm and lowered to rest on her belly. Her eyes were streaming with tears, but she let out a horrendous laugh which scared her. She could not stop laughing, even when a loud bang startled her and flames engulfed the car. She focused on the back window of the destroyed car and saw... The swinging, unmistakable yellow diamond-shaped sign. Baby on board. Thanks for listening. Come visit the Facebook group at facebook.com to scareyoutosleep to discuss this week's stories in our discussion thread. I'd like to know what you think. This week's Patreon supporters are Anna Cox and Stephanie Gunning. You have my biggest thanks and eternal gratitude. Remember to visit the Teespring store to browse our new merchandise. Check the show notes for 20% off your order until February 14th. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at ScareYouToSleep. You can follow my personal Instagram at ShelbyBScott. And I think that's it. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams